0: Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. I am your host, Scott Eltrison, and this week's episode was recorded on Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. Uh, my co host, Adam, is here as always. Adam, have you been?
1: Good, good. It's uh, finally summer. It's very hot these days in New New York.
0: It is. It is, and I love it, and I am super excited about it, Um, but not as excited uh, as this week's interview uh, conversation. So Chad Stoller sits down with uh, Michael Kasson uh, for a conversation about the current state of the media industry. Uh, They talk about agencies, RFPs, uh, and what brands should be thinking about uh, as they go into the rest of the year with um, events being virtual. Uh, so keeping an eyes and ears out for that conversation later on in the episode. Um, Adam, as, as we do uh, every Wednesday, do you want to get into this week's news?
1: I suppose we should get into the news.
0: So first up, we have a bit of news from Starbucks, uh, our favorite coffee roasters. Uh, they have announced that it's going to expedite the rollout of their new pickup store concept. Uh, it'll be powered by mobile ordering, uh, and it'll also be expanding across to uh, curbside pickup, drive through and walk-up counters in the suburban markets. They have plans to close up to 400 company-owned stores in the U.S. and Canada over the next 18 months. Uh, so obviously, this has to do with the new social distancing Society that we're going to be living in, uh, that people aren't going to be wanting to go into stores. They're going to want to, you know, just kind of grab and go uh, as we've kind of been living and adjusting to this new life of kind of managing smaller crowds is my thought process on it, Adam. What are you What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, Starbucks normally closes about 100 stores every year as they, like, optimize and move them around and, and things like that. So this this is obviously an acceleration mm-hmm. of what they would normally be doing, but it totally makes sense. We know that they were playing with the idea of mobile-only pickup stores and mobile-only order stores uh, before. And now, obviously, every store is a mobile-only order store. So uh, I think that... Uh, right, right, this, yeah. <laughs> like everything else, it just accelerated <laughs> that
0: trend. Right. They need a lot less shelf space um, or space at all, right? It's literally just like a counter, like, like open window and uh, serve, serve some coffee.
1: So on the... Opposite side of the market, actually, uh, an interesting uh, announcement uh, today from Restoration Hardware, or sorry, the firm previously known as Restoration Hardware, now known simply as RH, um, who they're actually <laughs> yeah, look at that rebranding. Um, RH is actually doubling down on brick-and-mortar retail. Um, they uh, had a lengthy pe- lengthy interview with the CEO in Forbes um, to talk about how they're expanding into things like furnished apartments, vacation rentals, and even yachts uh, that you can book and rent. Um, so this is uh, an interesting pivot. They um, last year opened a 50,000-square-foot uh showcase, they call it a gallery, but it's a, a furniture showcase, but also restaurant and bar and hotel here in New York City. Um, and this is really them doubling down on that. There's a, a great quote that I want to read here from the CEO. Our vision is to move the brand beyond curating and selling product to conceptualizing and selling spaces by building an ecosystem of products, places, services, and spaces that can elevate and establish the RH brand as a global thought leader, taste, and paste placemaker. Uh, and I just think that that's, it's, it's interesting. They're, they're rushing to like try to become an even higher end luxury brand. Um, and the fact that he's saying spaces, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is what he means, but my head immediately went to, uh, how we think about the future of autonomous vehicles, just being rooms on wheels. And like, that is not part of this announcement, but I, I think that I could imagine them two or three years from now rolling out some concept autonomous vehicles that are decorated, like restoration hardware apartments.
0: Well, I mean, it's honestly the perfect time to be looking for more spaces. Uh it seems yeah. like real estate is is going to be super cheap, so if they're going to be wanting to buy and make spaces, now is definitely the time to buy. You know, I am I'm excited about the vision and how you know and and what they're thinking because at a time when nobody's thinking about real estate, right? Nobody's thinking about spaces. Everybody's thinking about digital innovation. Um it is kind of a unique angle for them to be playing in.
1: Yeah. One, one last thing that I just want to note is that this is also being tied with um, an expansion of their focus um, outside the U.S. to the global luxury market. They will still produce the majority of their furniture inside the U.S., but they're uh, in terms of target customers, they're looking at uh, other parts of the world um, and other other luxury experiences. And I think that this is uh, that timing is part of this whole shift in strategy to look at at other places where there are people um, who are. There is a very big luxury market, obviously, in other parts of the world as well.
0: Absolutely. And it'll be interesting, uh, as we really see, you know, one company with Starbucks going one direction in the retail industry, closing stores, uh, and looking to go much more contactless uh, and mobile first. Uh, And now we have RH that is going even deeper into retail space and creating high end luxury experiences. And so we have this bifurcation, uh, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. uh, And you know, what those different uh, kind of experiences uh, will be like for for consumers.
1: So In another way that retail is rapidly changing and shifting, um, just this week, Roku is launching a new shopper data program that's designed to improve targeting and measurement of TV advertising for CPG marketers. They're bringing on as uh, their first launch partner uh, the grocery retailer Kroger. Um, So that is going to bring on data from 60 million households across Kroger's 2,800 stores, bringing that data into Roku's shopper data program. Um, so this is—it's a little complicated, but um, basically, what this means is that marketers are going to be able to segment their messages using dynamic creative on the Roku platform, based on how often a customer is purchasing from a particular CPG category at Kroger. Um, so it's—it's it's all about targeting um, and data and uh, becoming more precise with those messages on Roku's OTT platform. Um, and this is the kind of thing that you know OTT is really built for, right? Is that level of targeting and segmentation. Um, and this is just a great new uh, example of how to do that for a category that obviously spends a lot um, on television. And as our TV viewing is moving to OTT platforms, we need to be giving retailers and advertisers like Kroger, um, you know, and and their CPG partners, the ability to actually to, to target better on these platforms.
0: Totally. it's And it's, it's super interesting because in... In general, the those like in a sense like like Kroger is like a third party retailer. Most most brands don't have access to that data.
1: One thing I want to clarify is so Roku is is one party coming in with the platform that enables this kind of targeting. Kroger right. is coming in as a data provider, providing data yep. on those household purchases, and then yep. what that is going to enable is new targeting opportunities and segmentation opportunities for CPG brands or for you know any brands that Kroger would carry. Um, or, or category that Kroger would carry. So what it, this is not doing is closing the loop on attribution. Right now, this is just for segmenting of the actual creative mm-hmm. and targeting. Um, at some point in the future, they might roll out the ability to close that loop. So then you could actually tell if someone, a house, someone from a household who saw a particular ad ended up purchasing that product in a Kroger. They certainly have the ability to do that down the line, but that's not part of today's announcement. So mm-hmm. uh, keeping our eyes open right. for if and when that happens.
0: Yes, yes. But it's a start, right? Because traditionally, when we look at these third-party retailers uh, there is always just like a lack of information that comes back to brands. So this is a start of, you know, one of those retailers opening up their, their data set to an advertising platform, uh, and allowing them to do at least some sort of targeting, some sort of marketing off of that actual consumer behavior and like, sh- and shopping behavior that happens in stores, which I think is really exciting. And so hopefully this is something that can grow across the OT3 streaming market, uh, just to provide our marketers and our brands with more opportunity, more ways to target, uh, and, and, and ultimately just have, you know, better, better information uh, when it comes to like their media marketing plan. So uh, that's why I'm excited about it. That, you know, it's it's a start. And to round out this week's uh, conversation on on the news, um, IBM will no longer offer, develop or research facial recognition technology. Uh, this is supposedly over the use of the technology for surveillance, racial profiling, and violations of basic human rights and freedoms. Um, so I think this is something that a lot of, you know, companies and people in the industry have talked about when it comes to facial recognition is that there is bias with it. There are larger issues with it, uh, outside of what it can do just from, you know, our general, uh, standpoint as humans, uh, and you know, wh- how we view our privacy in the real world. So, uh, it's, it it's interesting to see IBM kind of take a stance on this, um, especially at a time when, uh, brand or consumers are looking for, for brands who be taking stances on topics that are important to them that are you know relevant to their business um i'm interested in it uh i think it's you know pretty uh powerful for ibm to make this announcement uh and kind of have that conversation and start to see what the other players in the market like amazon might be thinking uh as as ibm does take this position towards um you know stopping development of it out of a you know kind of values proposition versus you know monetary
1: Yeah, I think, you know, this is the kind of thing that some consumers and I don't think a lot of consumers because I think it's still pretty under the radar for most people. But it it is the kind of thing that some consumers are asking for brands to step away from. And I think we have Mm -hmm. to uh, when when brands do that, uh, we have to, you know, say, good job. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yes. uh, You know, I think we have to make sure that we're we're rewarding people for doing what what consumers are asking, even if there is, you know, it, it was a pretty minor Uh, part of IBM's balance sheet. So it's not going to be a major financial hit for them and they Mm -hmm. were not leading the market. So it's easy to say no, but you know, it doing so also puts some additional pressure on everybody else in the market to uh, evaluate uh, what they're doing and to respond to the consumer concerns.
0: Absolutely. And so with that, that about wraps up this week's this week's news. Uh next up we have a conversation between Chad Stoller and Michael Casson, the CEO of MediaLink, uh for a conversation all about the media industry, events, can Lion, will CS be happening? Uh so stay tuned for that. So Chad, Michael, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Scott. So I'm here with Michael Casson, who's the founder and CEO of MediaLink. And Michael, I sort of wish we recorded our conversation from a few weeks ago and just clicked export because we could have just put that out there because it was just already entertaining and informative. But because we had to schedule this, we're going to have to do it all over again. But as our listeners know, okay, most of them know Floor 9 for a place where we talk about the things that affect audience interests, consumer behavior, and everything else that has to be considered in the advertising business. But we don't ever really talk about the advertising business. And we thought, what better person to actually talk about it, especially in today's state post pandemic, or still current pandemic situation. We thought it'd be great to talk to you. So you're involved in a lot of things with us. You're involved in everything from searches for brand searching for new agencies. You're involved with Media companies who are looking to speak to agencies and speaking to brands. You're involved in recruiting. You consult for brands, you help them with strategy. You're always doing matchmaking. You're behind every event. But for people who may not know, do you want to tell them a little bit about MediaLink?
3: So, um, Chad, I would have loved to have uh, started with our conversation of a few weeks ago because, see, I'm so old these days I forget what I said. So it's like a whole new thing for me. So that's good on that note. But first of all, and most importantly, thank you for inviting me to join you uh, uh, on on the podcast. Um, I've certainly have uh, great respect for you as an individual and as a just amazingly forward thinker in our industry on the one hand. And on the second hand, um, there is no second hand. You're, you're, you're unique in the industry and I'm happy to spend the time with you uh, chatting about uh, the business and uh, the business of today. As we both know, uh, and as our listeners, I'm sure know, it's quite a bit different. Um, the way I describe Media Link Chat is we're a strategic advisory firm. We help clients develop strategies in whatever area it may be. We then help them design the implementation strategy to bring it to market and then we help them execute it. And so it's a three-legged stool, strategy, implementation, execution.
2: Right, so in, in cases when you're working directly with brands and your relationships with a lot of brands tend to be in the C-suite, I mean, it's it's no, you're no stranger you're no stranger to that. But when you are working on these master strategies, often a big part of that strategy is an agency selection. And and part of what I want to do in our conversation is I want to touch on some of these key areas that MediaLink has this incredible association with. So let's start with agency searches and RFPs. And this isn't a question about that process. This is a question about what is going on right now. With what you are seeing in the world of agency searches, RFPs, reviews, et cetera.
3: And are there are there real opportunities right now? Yeah. So if you had asked me this question in January of 2015. I would have said, well, I don't know. You know, it's usual. If you ask me the question in February of 15, as you well remember, that was the launch of Media Palooza, and there was some $60 billion of media that was moved around in basically a one-year period. So we were at the center of that. If you ask me that same question in January of 2020, so five years later this year, I would have said, "Oh my God, this is going to be media Palooza Redux." We're we're here for another round of this. In fact, it's no longer Palooza; it's the new normal. Sure. And and we were anticipating quite a a, a busy year, um, it, you know, looking forward from January uh, in twenty twenty. We're in that time uh, where it's hard to anticipate what tomorrow looks like, uh, but my optimistic side says. I'm Annie more than Chicken Little. So the sun will come out tomorrow and the sky is not falling. And I do believe there will be an uptick in these reviews in the second half of this year. The first half of this year, some started, some that were in process continued. We're in the middle of a few of them. I I think we'll see an uptick, you know, in the back half of the year. Do you see the... um
2: the convergence coming together in these reviews about integrating more creative responsibilities into these media pitches?
3: Yes. So Chad, we were, let me, let me take a, a walk back and you, you know this, but you know, I guess our listeners might not. So I was part of the posse and maybe one of the leaders of it, but certainly part of it in the nineties. And I don't mean the 1890s wise guy. <laughs> I'm not that old, (laughs) you know, in the unbundling of the industry. And, and when I was uh, leading the predecessor to the company you work for, um, we were the leaders in unbundling the industry and taking creative and moving it over to the right and taking media planning and buying and putting them together. And, and, and I was a staunch believer in that in 2016, we led a pretty important review for a large telecom. Uh, I won't say their name, but their initials are at and And that was the first of the new breed, in my opinion, of bringing media and creative back together under one roof. And it was the winners there were for people know, but BBDO and Hearts and Science um, under Omnicom, you know, were successful in bringing together a new model. And it was the largest ever done at that moment. And it, and it was the biggest statement that the industry could make about a new bundling, bringing media and creative back together, planning, buying and and, and execution. And I think we're seeing more and more of that.
2: The thing that, that that I've noticed is, first of all, like on the reviews, being on the side of clearly being in the agency that I'm in, but also over this past how many years I've been in this business with all of my, my friends and colleagues who I've been in touch with during, during this work from home era is that we've talked a lot about the different things that are coming in for reviews and pitches. And like some of them are some of the more smaller to medium sized accounts that are coming in, which are getting some of the, some really, really incredible thinking right now, because what's happening is, is that there's pitch teams that are ready and you know, there, there's, there's like a great surplus of really good strategic thinking that's going on right now. But the other thing about it, and the reason why I asked you about the creative part is that more brands are starting to realize that there is a, the, the level of preciousness with their creative as more consumers move to digital platforms and take and, and utilize digital advertising assets. That the creative doesn't have to be as precious and overmanaged as it once was. It just needs to be relevant and available and timely in the execution. So I'm curious to see is that as media pitches start to change, is there more of an is there going to be the need for creative capability in the media reviews? Uh,
3: I believe the answer is yes, and particularly now. And yeah. this may be a moment, not a long-term uh, situation. But there is such a heightened degree of sensitivity right now around uh, creative being tone deaf in any way, shape or form. We saw it growing up in the in the in the post me too or the, you know, in the middle of the me too um, moment. We see it with the important and necessary focus on diversity and inclusion. And, you know, does this feel tone deaf? Does that feel tone deaf? Yeah, I'm not saying media leadership can't Opine on that, but what I'm saying is, you need that creative spin, you need that creative view, that creative voice, in this day and age, particularly, to be extra vigilant on what you say and how you say it, and to who you say it, relative to, you know, the market being what it is. You know, now you take a position in the marketplace, and you're banned, and you're boycotted, and you're and you're all of this. So I think there is a a larger need, not a lesser need right now for creative sensibility in in everything we do. Even brand safety. Brand safety's taken on a whole different uh, meaning today. It's not, gee, do you want your brand message next to, you know, God forbid, you know, jihadist beheadings. No. Well, that's one thing. That's more obvious. But do you want it next to Look, uh, uh, I'm not picking on our friends at Facebook, but I read the New York Times the other day. There are companies that are now saying we're not going to go back on Facebook because we don't agree with Mark Zuckerberg's opinions on political advertising. You know, you're always going to we all know this, Chad, you're always going to have the letter. And how many times have you met with a marketer who says, you know, if I do that, I'm going to get the letter. Right. And the letter refers to the letter from this group that I've offended. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely all of that is is way more relevant in media today in marketing today and it's taking purpose driven to a whole new level and i think you need creative sensibility in that conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need to remove the latency that exists between a creative agency working with a brand and a media agency and trying to figure out a way to reduce that triangulation. And so, you know, if you're getting insights from your media company, you should also be able to have the response capability of it, especially when production requirements aren't at the level. But I want to go back to what you were just talking about, because that leads into my next question, which is, I'd love to get your temperature check right now on the social platforms. And especially because there was rumor I think it was earlier this week that the information reported that the letter is actually coming, right? right? The letter is coming to Facebook advertisers, advising them to take a stance and a position in terms of supporting Facebook or, or whatnot. But what's your take on what you're seeing going on and what are you hearing from some of your clients?
3: I think people are running scared right now and they're afraid to, to move right or left. And so I think they're gonna take a much more conservative approach, which I think is trou- for me is troublesome. Because I'm not prepared to be that judgmental uh, about, you know, look, let me back up. We are all, I was taught by my parents that one is known by the company they keep. And if you extrapolate from that logic, that applies here. If I'm putting my brand message on Facebook and I don't agree with the position, I'm not saying I don't, but if I didn't agree with the position. I'm not giving you my opinion, Right, uh, uh, but but if I didn't agree with the positions that Mark Zuckerberg has espoused, let your checkbook do the talking and walking, as they say, put your money where your mouth is. If you don't believe in what they're saying, then don't support them. Right. And, and as an advertiser, you support them not by going on and checking on your high school girlfriend and seeing what <laughs> she's up to or your high school boyfriend or whatever uh you, you know you're you're doing it by placing advertising on their platform and if you're not comfortable with the message then don't place advertising there that that it's it's pure and simple right
2: i mean are you getting do you feel that the that brands right now are a little too oversensitive or are they is this an, is for i mean i guess the point blank is that are you getting calls and your team getting calls on just straight up you know advice and positioning
3: advice yes yeah here's what i think I think brands are starting to realize that we are in the business of not following narratives, but creating narratives. And and we have an obligation as an industry to help set the narrative. That's what we do. That's our job. We get you to take an action. We get you to buy something or do something or utilize a service. That's what we do. And hypersensitivity, if it drives us to action, then I'm all for it. Hypersensitivity, if it drives us to inaction, then I'm very much against it. And what I mean by that is if I'm so afraid to take a position in any which way, then I'm going to do nothing and I'm going to become a hermit. So I want that sensitivity to drive action, not inaction, and take a position. But most importantly, take an action. Do something. Don't admire the issue. Don't admire the problem, as people have said for years. We all can make a difference. We can make it bottom up, and top down on on the issues of the day. So you know, I think yeah I think that's an important distinction.
2: You know, it's interesting what you're saying is that in a way you you know there's a lot of brands out there that uh, you know one of one of the one of my colleagues he calls it Mad Libs advertising right now which is when one brand follows another and another and another, and then they just, they swap out the names of the brand. And I think like right now you have a lot of brands just looking at other brands and just saying, "Is it, what did they do that was safe and I'm going to be safe. And then sometimes what they want to do is they want to blame the platform versus just taking action and, and showing that you're different or taking taking a unique position, especially with well, everything that's gone on the past 15 days.
3: Yeah, and, 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 and let's go back for the last three months, Chad. One of the things that I read that was so interesting, there was a, a great piece in the um, New York Times a couple three weeks ago, maybe that said, "It's a crisis, but don't forget to spend. It was written by a young lady named Amanda Hess. And I really paid attention to it because what it talked about is, you know, don't let the crisis, you know, close your pocketbook. Let it, you know, open it up, and don't forget you need to. and And the idea was, uh, you need to be messaging I- I- even in this moment. But what she pointed out that I found so interesting is, and let's take a quick service restaurant chain. Don't It doesn't matter which one. Historically, you're going to see pretty food shots. What we've seen over the last three months is the workers on the front line. What we're getting as questions from marketers right now is, when do you think it's safe to go back to good old-fashioned advertising? When's it safe to just say, on sale now, buy this here, uh, you know, great product?
2: Well, it's a classic example of, of there's nothing wrong with being in second place. Right. And nothing wrong with being the first fast follower. And, you know, to me, being in the innovation business and working with brands and innovation, that's always something that, uh, it's a pretty common reaction that we see, which is like, this is a really great idea. And I can't wait for somebody else to do it so I can learn from it and then do it correctly. But I agree with you is that we are in a situation where people are waiting to see if some things are going to change. When are we going to snap back to some, some pre-existing behaviors? So speaking of pre-existing behaviors, you mentioned before that right now you would be packing, maybe perhaps getting ready for your flight uh, in order to get to Can. And like, what is two thousand and twenty going to be like without Can? But more importantly, without the Carlton, like what what's gonna what's gonna what's going to happen? And then well, I want and and by the way, you're not going to be off the hook because I'm going to get you on this recording, telling me if CES is really going to happen. So first, start with Can.
3: So. Um, we have launched with our partners at Can Lions, uh, Lions Live, and it's going to happen during the week that would have been canned, uh, a week from this coming Monday, so two weeks from now. Uh, number one, number two, um, here's what we've done: as we made the tough decision as a company not to go forward with Can Lions this year, and as you know, obviously it's my parent company that also owns the Can Lions Essential. We decided we were going to have Lions Live to celebrate the work, and we are going to have the MediaLink Beach, which is happening now. And I had my inaugural presentation uh, this week uh, of the MediaLink Beach, and we'll be doing that this week, next week, uh, and the week after, lining up with what would have been CAN and leading up to what would have been CAN. When I said before about
2: there not being the Carlton, there still is the magic of the Carlton. There still is the people seeing each other from the street who haven't seen each other in a year, 5 years, 10 years, you know. There's certainly people I run into all the time and that is definitely the magnet. It's 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 a key area regardless as to the importance of it for MediaLink. It still is an important idea about camp, which is the networking, the ability to discover new new people, new things, new opportunities. What happens in a year where that where that doesn't exist?
3: We have to find another way to do it, Chad. It's really simple. Uh, look, I, I, I founded a company based on connectivity yeah. and interaction, and there, there is there is magic to the name for me, MediaLink. I hope there's magic for others. But we were in the business of linking uh, ideas and people, people and people. Um, you know, creating uh, Gertrude Stein's parlor uh, from another generation or even further back, uh, creating uh, Lynn manuel Miranda's imaginary room where it happened. Uh, And as you know, in this moment, I launched something called the Zoom where it happens, because that's part of our credo, which is we are in the room where the decisions are being made, where the actions are being taken, and can create a a, a palette for that. And we're going to miss that this year. That interaction, that that magic, of uh, I expand it beyond the Carlton. I don't have any bad will to the Carlton, but I expand it to the Quasette. And I always say, on the Quasette, you bump into the person you've been desperate to get in to see for a year, and they don't have their guards around them. They don't have their yeah. You know, yeah. you can you can actually just bump into, yeah. you know, Michael Roth. And 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 in your case, you probably don't want to. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> you know, but to others, that's the meeting they're desperate to have. And there's, it is. there he is, it right? is. It, it and, is. And that's the magic of those events. How many times a year I hear from people, well, I don't know that we really need to go to Cannes or, you know, I know we're going to talk a bit about CES. I don't know if we're going to, if I really need, I could see those people in New York or Chicago or LA or San Francisco. Yeah. The answer is yes, you could, but do you? And the answer is not always. <laughs> and and could you really yes yes you could but would you be able to get in would you be able to have the meeting would you be able to whatever the dynamic is can and CES um, create a level playing field and and it creates an efficiency that we will miss. That, that's how I look at it. Well, I feel like the
2: conversation of because I'm certainly guilty of the one who says, I can't believe I came all this way to meet somebody who works three blocks away or something along those lines. But I feel like I say that the most when I'm packed in a room that's definitely at over capacity and I'm sweating. So <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's a human it's a human condition response just as much as it
3: as yeah one does. of the good things coming out of this will be you probably won't be in a lot of packed sweaty rooms for a while.
2: <laughs> that yeah. is that
3: that they is may true. be sweaty but they won't be packed. What's your what's your, what's your gut speaking of packed? What's your gut on CES? Let me answer the question as definitively as I can. We have reserved our stuff. We've re- made our, you know, plans. We're operating as if there will be a ces in 21 that is our plan and we hope there is but we hope there is one that can be you know well attended and safe for the people who attend obviously
2: well- uh, we we definitely share share in your optimism. Okay, so speaking of travel, speaking of events and, you know, Michael you called it a couple of weeks ago, you called it your business badge of honor, you know, the ability to be that I like to call it consulting heroes, you know, the aspect of this great part about our job where sometimes we do some pretty ridiculous things, you know, whether it's traveling all the way around the world for an hour of time or whether it is just the remarkable ability to be in two places at once and so forth. Have we learned something from all of this time that we have sheltered in place? Have we learned new ways to work? And are clients ready to start working differently as well? And will this change some things?
3: I believe so, Chad. I think that um, the badge of honor I referred to uh, when we chatted, you know, a couple couple of weeks ago, and I wore it proudly, you know, I'm that guy who will fly to Singapore for dinner. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to London for a day, you know, more than I'd like to count. And I did it proudly. Like, see, look how important you are to me or more or or moreover, look how important I am that I could do it. So it's it's both ways. That's honest and transparent. I think the badge of honor would look like a badge of stupidity to some today if you made that trip when you could do this. Right. I mean, you know, you and I are Uh, You and I are looking each other in the eye as we're having a conversation. And I'm happy to tell you, I have some case studies during the pandemic now of client opportunities that were new clients, so not pre-existing relationships, new clients that we met and had competitive process, won the business, never having, quote, met and built relationships. And I feel like I've got a rapport with the people that I otherwise would have Thought I needed to do that in person, number one. Number two, um, the efficiency that this brings to all of us is something that you can't underestimate. I found myself being one who's kind of liking this. I want the interaction, but I'm liking this routine that I've developed over these three months. I find myself extremely efficient. I can't say I'm not excited to be able to go out and see my friends and interact with people. But what I'm finding more and more is not that natural reaction. I was on a call today where my natural reaction might have been, um, oh, let's get together and we can talk about it. I don't have to have that conversation now. Yeah, let's just let's just talk about it. I was on a phone call today with a very, very senior executive at a large entertainment company that I've met before, but not for quite some time. And I was about to say, when we get together or let's get together. And then I realized, Michael, you idiot, you're together.
2: Yeah, exactly. You are. You are together.
3: So I am. Speak, so so
2: speaking of this new way of getting together and the business that you're in when it comes to your recruiting silo, so. Is the talent pool shifting? Are you finding that this idea of people working remotely, and there certainly have been a lot of conversations about talent now can come from more places, and the marketplace, the national marketplace or the global marketplace starts to become a little bit more competitive. Is this something that you're seeing? Do you have a perspective on it?
3: Yes, I do. And right now, I want to see if, you know, the old don't read, well, well, let let me go back. As my grandmother taught me many, 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 many many moons ago, don't read people's lips, watch their feet. I hear people saying that it doesn't matter, but I'm not sure yet. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I'm hearing lots of people say, well, no, now you can live in Cleveland and work in New York. You can live in New York and work in Cleveland. Let's see when the jobs are actually happening. If people adhere to that, I for one hope they do, because then the talent pool is is broadly expanded, right? So I, I hope that what we're hearing people say is what we see people do when they're starting to actually make those hires and change their office footprints. We are going to do that. We are going to definitely examine our office footprints around the world as essential and as well as as MediaLink. And we're looking at it from the perspective of being more productive and, and more efficient. So, yeah, I think it's real.
2: I know that right now I'm the only thing standing between you and seeing your grandson who just traveled 3000 miles to see you. So now I'm in control of this conversation right now. I have you fully locked in or I have you not locked in at all. But I want to know what areas of innovation are you most excited about right now?
3: Yeah. So what we're seeing, Chad, and we've been we've been on this for a while. And you know this well, because it's something we actually worked on together with. Um, media brands uh, a couple of years ago, and and that was this morphing of the performance side of our world and the brand side of our world, and that's something that has really become an important focus for me. In fact, to the point that I'm trying to trademark a word as we speak, and that word is brand and it's the idea of bringing the brand side thinking together with the performance side thinking, and 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 creating a new marketing muscle. And I think that we've seen it with the direct to consumer uh, companies most directly. And now we're seeing it with the traditional, whether it's packaged goods, or in the case we worked together was with a financial services Mm -hmm. uh, company that we both work with. Uh, And they were the ones who really, the CMO in that case, Elizabeth Rutledge, really pointed to me, and to our team, the importance of bringing both sides of the house together. And that's an area that we are very focused on, which is ingesting into brand marketing performance discipline. And whatever we can do to do that, that to me is a very important push for marketers today. Brings things
2: together. Yeah, you know, and it's it's actually you know through that work. One of the things that we found is that we we have a general observation in terms of our client base, where on one side we have these incredible iconic brands that are that have built these legacy brands, great awareness, they have trust. Consumers want them. And then on the other side, we have these new brands, brands that are built on data. And the difference between the two of them is that one understands data and now wants to be loved, and the others are brands that people love and they're learning about data. Actually, very interesting, to you know, that, that, that notion of brand performance really does bring those two together.
3: And, and that's become a real focus for MediaLink and for our partners is the people who can help you do that. Are the technologists and the companies we're interested in, and mm. the brands on the other side who are open to and willing to reimagine their thinking and their organizations. You know, we've seen it with the streamers. You know yeah. this, Chad, yeah. but we work with Disney and HBO and Quibi, and we're very fortunate in the space of working with Peacock and, you know, lots of the different key players in that space, and we're watching traditional marketers understand subscriber acquisition and things yeah. that are you know foreign to them before and very much front and center now. And so things that drive that are the things that we seem to be interested in right now uh, across MediaLink.
2: Well, there's definitely no shortage of partners, tools, data, and all the different things that can help brands get a better understanding of, of performance. Okay, last thing. Yes, What's sir. Go- what else is going on in your world? We know there's a podcast now on iHeart, and then there you have no shortage of things that you're involved with.
3: Well, you- one of the things front and center, Chad, is this conversation that's going on in the industry around... Um, upfront and timing. And that's something that's very much on my personal plate right now is, you know, creating some alignment uh, and and more cooperation between buyers and sellers, not just around the timing of, of a market, but of the efficacy and, and the measurement and the um, transparency. You know, I was on a, on, a, on a mission a couple of years ago talking about uh, our industry and everything that I talked about, uh, the words all began with the letter T. Uh, trust, technology, transparency, you know, all things that that we were focused on. That was three years ago. That's the stuff, again, in the business world that I'm focused on. In the personal world, I'm focused on uh, my grandchildren, the health of my family and my friends, and you know, the things that truly do matter at the end of the day.
2: Well, we appreciate you taking the time. And I know that you have a room that is approximately, looks like around 25, 30 feet away that's ready for you. Please go enjoy your family. Thank you for spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. And Michael, I can't wait to see you in person soon. I really Well,
3: do. you got it, Chad. And as I, I feel the same way. And uh, thank you for the time. And thank you for, uh, for taking the leadership role that you do in this industry and, uh-huh. and inspiring so many people. Thanks so much, Michael. You got it.
0: Well, Chad, Michael, thank you so much for coming on Floor 9 and having that great conversation. And listeners, that wraps up this week's episode of the show. So, as always, you can check us out on the live stream this Friday, the IPG Media Labs Partnerships team. Uh, You can check that out at twitch.tv forward slash IPG underscore lab. And feel free to talk to us on Twitter. You know, you can uh, at myself at T-I-P-P-I-E-R or at Adam J. Simon. Uh, for Adam. So thank you. And we'll talk next week.